Good morning. Welcome to a gathering of Church 21. Uh, my name is Dwight. Uh, usually we have some announcements during this time, but uh, my fear was that we were going to go a little bit long with our, our sermon this morning. Uh, and I'm bringing you all into it. Like I'm trying to blame you that we're going to go long, even though I'm the one that's preaching. Uh, so please, uh, happy Mother's Day and take that blame. For, I have a mom too, okay? So if you would just own part of that blame, that would make my day so much better. Um, if you're new here with us, uh, there's something that happens in the summertime uh, where everyone flees uh, because the sun, this, that golden thing in the sky, comes out for like two weeks and people are trying to catch that. And so what we do at Church 21, the church isn't the building, uh, the church is the people, the people of God. And so we say, hey, go enjoy the, that that yellow thing in the sky, go enjoy free vitamin D for a little while, and go enjoy your neighbors. Uh, be on mission, uh, be generous, be hospitable, uh, go vacation together. Uh, because it's not about filling up this room primarily, it's about filling this city uh, with the people of God, excited about who God is and, and what he has done. And so over brunches, over vacations, over uh, soccer, football, whatever your preference is, matches, uh, we get to declare and demonstrate what we believe about who God is and what he has done. Uh, if you're new here, uh, we do have a card that you may or may not have received on your way in. Uh, but this would give us your information, your email, uh, where you live. You could suffice it to just give us your email, and we would be in contact with you. We really want to know who you are. Being in a city um, like Montreal where people come in and out and people are moving all the time. We're on like round four of friends. They just keep moving in and out. Uh, it's, it's really nice to be known while you're here. And so this is part of the way that we'll get to know you. And as a church, we don't want to just be dispensing religious goods. In fact, we don't want to do that at all. We really want to be caring for you and helping understand uh, where you're at and, and how we can help you grow in, in your relationship with Jesus. So that's what we're on about at Church 21. We love Jesus. And you might be here this morning and say, I, I don't love Jesus. I don't know much about Jesus. I don't know that I want to know much about Jesus. And we just say, welcome. We're so glad that you're here because at one point, all of us were in that place as well. Uh, I also woke up this morning to the news that um, in Indonesia, there were three bombs that were set off in uh, churches. And so our brothers and sisters, uh, that's, we sometimes refer to the people of God or the church as brothers and sisters. We use family language on purpose because we want to remind ourselves that we're not just attendees. The Lord has done something phenomenal in bringing strangers and exiles and aliens into his family. And so our, our brothers and sisters, some of them lost their lives this morning uh, in Indonesia, just gathering for what we're doing. Uh, it's a lot of work to get to a church gathering sometimes because it's too early or you have to you know, walk a little bit or you, know, you drive through road construction and, um, or around road construction. Don't drive through it, but around and sometimes it's frustrating. My kids this morning were like, dang it, Dad, we have to get in the car for an hour each way and, you know, construction and da-da-da-da-da. And I'm like, yeah, this is a great opportunity to not complain, because I usually do. Uh, but to then say, here's what happened with our, with our brothers and sisters this morning in 
in Indonesia. And they're like, oh. And so it's that type of thing uh, this morning. So what I want to do is I want to pray uh, for the church globally because we have this rare thing where we don't have to worry about what's going to happen to us. You're going to worry, is Dwight going to go really long with the announcements, which means he's going to go really long with the sermon. And those are kind of like the extent of our worries most often. But we don't worry that something's going to happen to us as we're gathering this morning. But most of our brothers and sisters around the world do. I was with a guy from Moscow this week that he just normally... You know, a normal conversation said, yeah, my dad was killed because he was a follower of Jesus. And now I'm starting churches in Russia still. And I'm like, back up. Like your dad was killed. He's like, oh yeah, it's very normal. Like that's not normal where I'm from. Like you live long lives of comfort in the church. But that's what our brothers and sisters are are on about. So I want to pray for them. And then we'll get on with our our sermon this morning on money. Uh, Lord... It's, it's tragic to read, to wake up and read about uh, this news of real, real brothers and sisters. Not, not just humans, but brothers and sisters that you have purchased because of what you did on the cross for us, Jesus. And that they would be going to celebrate and be excited about who you are and that they would lose their lives, and yet in this moment right now, they're enjoying you face to face. And so it's that that tragic celebration, yet tragedy, that we as humanity keep turning in on ourselves, turning away from you, thinking that removing a people group or a religion or a belief system uh, is actually going to bring justification to our souls that we can look in the mirror and say, I am right because I'm doing these things. But Lord, you said none of us are right. You said all of us have gone astray. All of us are wrong. But that you came for all of us. And so I pray that for, for these groups sending people in to do these bombings, that you would rescue them. I pray you would bring forgiveness. Pray that the church in Indonesia would be a great demonstration of your heart as they move towards people in great forgiveness. And we thank you that we are, are forgiven this morning. Thank you that for those who, who don't yet know you or, or love you, forgiveness is being offered this morning. That it's not about what we did last night or what we're thinking about doing later on for the rest of our lives, but it's about what you did for us. So, Jesus, we pray that this morning would be all about you, that you would be the great hero of everything that takes place, and we have a great need for you. Would you speak to us? We love you. Amen. All right, so we are in our final week uh, on this series called Exponential. Uh, Yeah, there we go. Boom, blowing up. Exciting. Um, Called Exponential, and the idea of Exponential is that... um, when something multiplies, 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 it's, it's exponential, right? There's exponential growth. At that point, you can't contain it, control it, sometimes even measure it any longer. Like, it's just too big. And this is what we've been on about. So the first week, we talked about our identity, who we are because of what Jesus has done. So because Jesus came, we've been made a, a family of servants on mission. 
We become stewards of everything. You own nothing. The time that, that you have today, it's not really yours. It's on loan to you. Enjoy it, right? But it's on loan to you. So we talked about the time that we've been given and how to steward that. I think Jordan did that last week. Talked about the talents that we have and the way that we can serve with these. And today we're going to talk about the treasure and money. Everyone likes talking about money. Oh, it's so exciting. I'm so glad I came to a church gathering to talk about money. But if you were to read the, the gospels, the, the accounts of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, you would see that Jesus spoke about money almost more than he spoke about anything else. And we're going to look at why this morning he does that. You know what's really hard to do, though? It's hard to ask for help. Do any of you struggle with that? Me. All right, great. Uh, so I struggle to ask for help, and all of you are just trying to wake up and raise your hands. I get it. But it's hard to ask for help, except when you want to start something. Uh, so something like Indiegogo or these, these different online platforms that now collect seed money so you can record your album on your little flute that you got in first grade, whatever you want to do. Like People do crazy projects. I do not endorse, condone, support uh, some of the, the musical projects that I see come up on Facebook. But everyone wants seed money because it's going to be the most epic album, the most authentic thing that's ever happened in the history of mankind. And we're, we're glad to ask for seed money to get things started. But what's amazing is that when we ask for seed money, we're making a declaration that I don't have the means to, to get the end that I actually want. When I need something to start something, it means that I'm not bringing to the table everything that's necessary for this project to get on and, and get started. And I think that's amazing. I think that's a humbling point in many of our lives when we realize that we don't have what we need to do, what we actually want to do. And so we need seed money of some sort or seed resources or someone to invest something. What's great is that seed money is actually God's idea. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at money, possessions, and resources as seeds. Okay, so you're going to have to work a little bit hard with me. I'll try and explain it. But I'm going to talk about seeds, and it's not going to be like pomegranate seeds or orange seeds, those types of things all the time. So you're going to have to just track with me and do a little bit of homework. Happy Mother's Day. I knew you wanted to do that today, so this is just getting your, your A game on. There are four points I want to make today. Um, number one, uh, it's going to be that God is the one who provides all seeds. So he's the one that provides, yes, pomegranate seeds, but also the one who provides all seeds money, and resources, possessions. Secondly, I want to talk about our misuse of the seeds. Third, I want to talk about our hope, our confident expectation. And fourthly, I want to talk about our call. So what are we supposed to do with this information that we have now? Here's the thing that bothers me about church so often is that we love information. We love reading books. We love listening to sermons most of the time if we like the content or material. We, we like we like kind of being these Christian bobbleheads that walk around like this. But what we don't like to do is actually apply it to our real life. We don't like to get our hands dirty with the theology. But here's what we believe about God. We believe that God didn't just think, ah, it would be a good idea for me to rescue humanity. He actually came and got dirt underneath his fingernails in doing it. Actually, he took on flesh and got fingernails. So God didn't just think it was a good idea to live in the abstract to, to be this, this 
bobblehead deity. Instead, he came down, took on flesh, and actually worked out this reality. And so this is going to be our hard work today, is not to just hear ideas and say, ah, oh, yes, I agree, or no, I don't, I don't agree, but to actually do something with this. The book of James, a book in the New Testament, talks about us being hearers and doers of the word. So we don't just hear, we do. That there's a response that takes place. And so this is what we're going to get on about this morning. Uh, First thing, God's provision of seeds. God's provision of seeds. All things are his. All things are his. I believe it was Abraham Kuyper that that said that there isn't a square inch in the universe that God doesn't declare mine. It's all his. Everything is his. And I like to remind us and my family of that often, right? That everything is his. Nothing can you say this mine. No, ultimately, good theologian is going to say, well, actually, it's the Lord's and it's on use for me to be able to enjoy for now. But all things are his. All things. Even your pomegranate seeds, they're all his. And this is important for us to know as we're going to talk about resources. So we believe that God created all things and that he didn't let go of all things and say, okay, now it's all yours. He created all things and he sustains all things. He's still holding on to everything. It's all still his. And he put certain things within creation so that creation would multiply. There would be exponential growth. So God literally put seeds into creation. Let me show you this. Genesis, first book in the Bible. I'm going to put it up on the screen for you. But if you don't have a Bible as you leave today, please grab one, not mine. Please be kind. Don't take mine. Uh, But there are some out there. And so as you're leaving, grab one. But here, Genesis chapter 1, verse 11 to 13 says this. God said, he's in the process of creating, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed. I wish it was that easy, right? Like I plant things and squirrels, these like evolutionary food chains somewhere type of, they're not normal squirrels. They come and they devour. They don't allow for plants to yield seed or anything. But God speaks, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its own kind. And God saw it was good. There wasn't a blemish in all of this. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. And so this is what God was on about. My my printer uh, broke. So I'm trying to use this iPad thing, but it keeps shutting off on me. So if I just go on a rant or a tangent and then need to find my place again, uh, just consider it a gift, all right? Um, so this is, what, this is what God is on about, that he creates fruit, trees, all of these with seeds so that he doesn't have to keep dropping orange trees all over this world, right? There's, there's seeds in there, and, and within that seed is a potential of new life. And so God puts these into the vegetation world. Now, moving on, Genesis 1, 20 to 22. God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures, every, every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm. 
according to their kinds, every winged bird according to its kind, God saw it was good. God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply, fill the waters in the seas, let birds multiply on the earth. So uh, the Lord was on about uh, little baby or little birds making little baby birds, the whole birds and the bees things. It's a thing that the Lord put into place so that he didn't have to keep copying, pasting birds and sea creatures all over the place, but they would have a good time for a second and then they would, they would fill the earth because God put a seed into them to be able to multiply. This was God's idea. He says, be fruitful. He's saying to animals something that he says to the trees, be fruitful, right? Multiply. And then he says it to humans. He says it to humans. Genesis 1, 26, 28. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. There's a complexity about God there. Let us, we believe that there's one God, three persons, yet one God. And you're like, I don't get it. Okay, we're moving on though for right now. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man, that's mankind, okay, not just man, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now here it is. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. When I walk by my beta fish in the morning, I say, I have dominion over you, right? And claim Genesis 1:28, just so he knows his place in his little bowl because he's worried. He's thinking he might take over at some point. But nonetheless, humanity, We were made in the image of God. We were made to represent God to all of the earth. We were made to bring the dominion of God to the uttermost parts of this earth. And the dominion of God is not like this hard thing that people have to get under. It's the presence of God, goodness, rightness, perfection, no blemish. Um, It's beautiful. There's no evil, there's no war, there's no bombing. There's no economy that's going down the tubes. Everything is beautiful. And the Lord said, I want for you to be on about that. I've put a seed within you. Okay, and I'm not gonna do a biological thing here this morning, but you can imagine, well, don't imagine, but you know, you know where the seed starts, what happens, how that all gets worked out, and then... You know, I have four little people running around here, right? Like, we, we understand how this works. If you don't, ask your mom today over lunch. That'll be a really fun little conversation. Mom, where did I come from? How did that all happen? She'll love to answer it, I'm sure. So the image-bearing seed is placed within humanity to saturate the world with shalom. Shalom isn't just this Jewish greeting. Shalom is is peace, but it's so much more than peace. It's full well-being. Imagine, full well-being all the time. Like everything works. Everyone behaves. No one is without. Nobody dies. This is what we were supposed to saturate. But what happens What happened? Is that the life that you live? No, it's not the life I live. So what happened? Well, here it is. It was our fault. 
we misuse the provision that God gave to us. God put humanity in a garden, so think paradise, puts male and female together, naked, no shame, and, and gives them no instructions, right? That sounds great. No instructions. The only thing that he said was, hey, there's this tree in the middle of your living room, the middle of paradise. If you eat of this tree, you're going to die. Everything else that you do is going to bring me honor, glory, and you're going to keep living. One thing. What did we do? Well, that, that fruit looks good. Right? That, that's what we always do. It's what we always do. We always go to the fruit that we shouldn't be at. We misused it. We broke the only boundary that God gave to us. God gave us seed money and we gambled it all away. God gave us life and we gave it up for the fruit because we bought into the lie that was spoken to us. There was a different authority that came to us in the garden. We were there with our first parents. We were being represented by our parents. And our first parents believed a lie that we lacked something. That we just needed to carpe diem. We needed to seize the day, seize the fruit, seize our deity. And the moment that we ate of the fruit of this tree, we would become just like God. Which was saying that God has made you dysfunctional. There's a dysfunction in the matrix. There's a piece of coding that's not there. And the missing piece is all up to you. You can save yourself. And if you would just take and eat of the fruit, then you can save yourself. And the world is yours. But that was a lie because the world already was theirs. In fact, they were supposed to take dominion over all the world, partnering with God in his plan to do this. They gambled the seed money away. And they became the bad seed. Have you ever been called a bad seed? It's really awkward. I was called that a few times as a child by other people. Like, are you a bad seed? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what that means. But that's what we became. We became the bad seed. That the seeds that now we would produce in all of life would lead to death. The seeds that we would produce would lead to liars. Uh, all my children are liars they are, I'll confess for them, all right? One day it won't be as easy to talk about them, but for now, I, I can. Uh, all my kids are liars. Uh, Jess and I, my wife, we never sat down and like whiteboarded out like how to lie. We never did. If you do that with your kids, stop doing that. You know, be a good mom or dad, whatever. It's not Father's Day, but be a good dad today and don't do that. But we didn't sit down with them and say, okay, here's how you steal. Here's how you lie. Here's how you sneak punches to places you shouldn't punch people. Here's how you, like, we didn't do that with them. But what do they do? They do all those things. We passed on the bad seed. And it's not because they're watching us do these things. And it's not because Jess and I are perfect either. But this is what they are. This is what we've become. And we've been spreading the seed of death, not the seed of shalom. We've been spreading the rule and reign of us and our platform, not the rule and reign of God. And we continue to misuse provisions and seeds. Like, we're not getting it right. We continue to do this. Even if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you continue to miss the mark. You do. I do. 
How do we do this? How do we continue to do it? Let me give you a few examples. It's easy to multiply our resources, our money and stuff only for ourselves. Only thinking of ourselves. We put money into the stock market or investments or real estate. And at the end of the day, we're just thinking about me that I want to multiply more so that I have more. And there could be a whole host of reasons for why that is. But God didn't say, I'm putting all these seeds in the garden and animals in you, humanity, so that you can build storehouses full of fruit and animals like raccoons piled up to the ceiling, uh, babies filling houses, not taking dominion over everything, but instead being all about yourself. That's not why God put the seed into his creation. There's a story in Genesis chapter 11, first book in the Bible, 11th chapter in, about the Tower of Babel. As a kid, I thought it was like they were really trying to build this, you know, huge tower into the heavens to like, you know, poke God and, and trick him. But what were they doing? They were building a storehouse for humanity. They were building a thing for them. They weren't spreading throughout the earth. So what did the Lord do? He confused their languages and they were forced to now spread. That we misuse our resources because we multiply just for ourselves. Here's another way. Uh, we can bury our resources. Okay, God, you've given me this much money. Uh, you've given me this many resources. I'm just gonna bury it and keep it safe. Because God, you're a safe God. You're all about safety and security. Er, wrong. Uh, Jesus tells a, a parable about servants. And they had received talents, which was a lot of money. One received five. He multiplied that and, and had 10 when the master came back. One had two. He multiplied that, had four when the master came back. Both of these, okay, they, they probably took risky uh, expenditures to make that happen. But that pleased the master. You're using my resources to multiply. The one who buried, he got one talent, buried it in the ground. And then when the master came, he dug it back out and said, look, I have your money again. And he said, you wicked servant. I didn't give you my resources for you to bury it. At least put it in the bank so you'd get some interest on it. These are Jesus' words. You wicked servant. That God does not give us resources so that we bury it. So that at least we're not going to make any mistakes with it. But we have made a mistake with it. Right? It's so easy to do this. Another way that we misuse the provisions is that we steal. We steal. We, we have unjust practices. We see whole nations doing this. Another way is that we justify ourselves by giving. So maybe you give, maybe you give a lot, maybe you're generous. But maybe you look around at other people and you say, ah, oh, at least I give. My justification, my standing before God, I know today is good because I give. And that's garbage. That's garbage. You can't give enough money to please God because it's all his anyway. Do you get that? Do we get that? Yet this is, this is where our minds are so often. Or we waste it. We get the resources from God and we waste it. And there's a whole host of ways that I could show this from Scripture, but let me tell you a story 
Or let me read you a story that Jesus uh, told in his day. It's from Luke, book of the New Testament, chapter 15. It's about the prodigal son. Maybe you've heard it before, but let me read it for you. It's about 13 verses. Here we go. He said, Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. So basically, the younger son is saying to dad, I wish you were dead. I just want your stuff. And he divided his property between them. It's amazing to me. I'd be like, get out of here, right? You don't know what you're saying. Go. But instead, he divides the property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, took a journey into a far country. There he squandered his property in reckless living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, Ah, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. Right? He creates this whole plan. Then finally, verse 20, he arose, came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His dad was still looking for him. His dad was looking for him, and he felt compassion, and he ran. Okay, Hebrew men didn't run in that day. That was improper to run, but he runs, and he embraces him, and he kisses him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then this is astounding. The father said to his servants, like dad just shuts him up. He said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Do you, have you ever felt like, I was just reading that list. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, that's me. I waste all of the resources that God gives me. I've squandered it all, squandered everything. You been there? I have. I have. Are you in that place where you've never given anything? You've only taken. You've only been a taker. I've been there. Do you sit now feeling proper conviction? Like, ah, oh, why have I missed this for so long? Well, did you see what the father did? Do you see what the father did? His son said, I wish you were dead, took his money, wasted it all, and comes back and says, Dad, would you treat me like one of your servants? And what does the father do? He doesn't give him a repayment plan. He doesn't give him a guilt trip. He only runs after him, embraces him, kisses him, and reminds him that you are my son by giving him his robe and his signet ring. This is crazy. No one deserves this. Nobody. And yet this is how God rolls. This is how God works. Because the father wants for the son to be overwhelmed with the generosity 
of the Father. This isn't about you, son, and your little uh, guilt plan and that you're going to work as one of my servants. No, it's not going to work like that. You're going to be overwhelmed and have to wear my cape. You're going to have to wear my robe. You have to wear my ring and say, I, I am a son of my father, not because of what I've done with his stuff, but because he loves me. This is where generosity begins. Understanding that you are loved. So God provides all the seed. We misuse it. We squander it. We're, we're crazy with his stuff. And we actually think it's ours. <clears throat> and then God runs after us. And he says, ah, I have your hope. And the hope that we have is actually a seed. Our hope is, is a seed. Genesis 3.15, first book in the Bible, chapter 3, we see this hope. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, the serpent and the woman, and between your offspring, or the King James Version, uh, the authorized version, says, your seed and her seed. Satan, I'm going to put enmity between you and the seed of the woman that's coming. He's going to bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Or he's going to crush your head and you're only going to bruise his heel. Our hope is in a seed. And here it says seed of the woman. And I said I wasn't going to go into biology, but seeds don't start in women. They start in men. All right? So seed of a woman is a very abnormal way to talk about a child's. Because that's not where they start. It was going to start within this woman. And this seed, we know thousands of years later, was going to be Emmanuel. God with us, that we know as Jesus. Jesus comes as our seed. The potential, that, that life, real life, real shalom, is on the horizon for us. But only if the seed actually does what he said he's going to do that he's going to rescue humanity by bearing the weight of sin for all of humanity. That's a lot to bear. Have you ever tried to bear the, the, the repercussion of someone's mistake? It's heavy. It's like, man, you should have to own this. You should owe this. I'm paying off your debt. This is heavy. I couldn't pay off everyone's debt. And yet this is what Jesus says he's going to come to do. He's going to be the seed that's going to go into the ground and die bearing the full weight of sin that you and I have committed against God. Book of John, book in the New Testament, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat or a seed falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So this is what Jesus does. He's the seed that goes into the ground and dies for you and for me. I was in Rome uh, last week and then in Serbia and went to the Vatican uh, one day and then went to the Colosseum and all the things around there the next day. And it's, it's like pinch yourself moments continuously in Rome because you hear of, you've read history, you know certain things, and then like you're there where it's happening. Like, oh yeah, that's where he was burned and that's where this was said and that's where this took place. You're just like, whoa. But I was standing in the Colosseum, and if you know the history of the Colosseum, uh, it began as a place where animals fought, and it ended with a place where Christians were killed. And within the Colosseum, there's a big uh, cross there. 
dedicated to all of the, the saints who have, who have died uh, in the Colosseum. And as I was standing there looking, there's, there's a gate of, of life and a gate of death. And you come through the gate of life, and most people would leave through the gate of death. And, and this image came to my mind of, of Jesus and what he did as the seed. Jesus, unlike everyone else coming through the gate of life, Jesus comes through the gate of death. He walks into the Colosseum, and we're all there. And we're not there to root for him. We're there to root against him. And we, the people, humanity, get up out of our seats, rush down, and we kill him because it's our sins that put him to death. And his blood is shed. And as the sand of the Colosseum would eat up the blood of its victims, the blood that Jesus shed purchased our freedom. And we stood there and we waited. And three days later, Jesus rises up from, from death because he couldn't be held by it. It wasn't his sin that put him there, it was ours. And so Jesus stands up, having conquered our sin, having conquered death, and he walks out the gate of life. And he invites all of us who have just put him to death to come with him, not to be punished by him, but to enjoy him. This is the good news of the gospel. This is what Jesus does. This is what he's on about. This is his type of generosity towards his enemies. And he puts that seed of generosity into each one of us and calls us to be generous at that level. I mean, this is amazing. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, another book in the New Testament. Paul writes, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty might become rich. We become rich in an eternity with him because of his death on our behalf. So today, if you're part of the followers of Jesus, if you're part of his family, if you're known as a brother, sister of Jesus, you have everything. Everything is yours. So you who are in university eating ramen, you know, not by choice, but by necessity. I always think it's weird. When university students, you know, struggle on ramen and then they go out to eat ramen later on when they're making money. I'm like, don't you remember what you used to do. Someone, when I was in Vancouver, someone invited me to ramen. I'm like, no, I don't want to go. I'm not going back to that land, right? Like I want, I want real food, <laughs> right? Coming out of ramen world. Anyway, um, but we have everything. We have everything. But the lie in the garden was that we lacked, remember? The lie in the garden was that you're dysfunctional and we still continue to believe this lie today. Many still leave Jesus for money and resources. Many within his church still pursue money and resources as an ultimate end. Jesus says this, and he told the parable and then explained it. He said, others are the ones sown among thorns. Seeds were sown, landed in thorns. They are those who hear the word, but what's they're doing? Well, the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So Jesus is saying that it's possible for you to be excited about me at first, but then to be so worried about money and resources, thinking that they're mine, 
thinking that I need to figure out how to create bigger storehouses for them or this is all about me, that we end up actually walking away from Jesus because the cares of this world and money are so important. But when we see him as everything, when we see Jesus as everything, all seeds are reordered. Jesus meets this guy named Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. And so he meets, I tried to do that straight face, but I couldn't. Uh, so Zacchaeus uh, is this tax collector. He steals from people unjust all the time. And he climbs up into a tree to see Jesus because no one's gonna let Zacchaeus, this thief, get close to Jesus as he's passing by. Jesus looks up, sees him. He says, hey, get food ready at your house. I'm coming to your house today. Right, like why would Jesus wanna be with this guy? Doesn't he know he's a scumbag? Doesn't he know that he's been taking money from us? Maybe Jesus is gonna go and punish him. But instead, Zacchaeus understands who Jesus is. Zacchaeus has been stealing resources of God from God's people. And Jesus says, I wanna get close to you because I wanna change you. And Zacchaeus understands who Jesus is and look at what happens Zacchaeus says to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, today salvation, rescue, has come to this house, since he's also a son of Abraham. For the son of man, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to seek the greedy. He came to seek the prideful. He came to seek you and me. And so today, we become stewards of his resources And when we give, when we give of his resources, we're preaching to our hearts that we don't need money. Do you you get that? When you give away stuff, it's saying, I don't need that. I'm not dependent on that. That's not my ultimate. So giving frees us up from needing to worry about the things that, that are God's to worry about. And giving is actually an act of worship. Saying, God, you are so much better than your resources. I want you, not your stuff. Prodigal son, he wanted the dad's stuff. Where God is reorienting our hearts to want him. Because he's far more enjoyable than the stuff. iPads will break. iPhones will break. Everything is going to be ruins. But he won't. So... What do we do with this? Practical stuff, okay? Practical stuff. We just did the theology of all of this. Why are we stewards, okay? Our call, three things. Unlearn, plan, and grow. And I'll do these as quickly as possible, but these three things are are important. And what I wanna say as well, don't build your financial strategy on one proverb, okay? There's a book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, kind of like the, the ancient tweets of the day, right, really short, pithy statements that God has given. But I've heard people like building their whole financial strategy on a proverb. I'm like, the Bible has a lot to say about money actually against some of the things that you're building on. So don't build your whole strategy on one proverb. But here's some things, there, there are at least three things we need to unlearn. Um, the first is that uh, we need to unlearn that we don't give. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus and you don't give, uh, that's just, it's wrong. There's something wrong. Because you're not understanding um, that God gives to you to then give. 
Not for $9 mocha latte things, okay? Sometimes this is great. But he, he gives so that you can give. He blesses you so that you can be a blessing. And here's how we rationalize not giving. Well, I only have a little. Well, there's a woman who basically walks into the temple, drops two pennies, and Jesus says, this woman has given everything that she has, right? Emulate her in your giving, not the rich guy who brought in a little bit. So you say, ah, I only have a little. That doesn't alleviate you from giving. The Lord wants your heart, and your heart grows greedy as you hold on to his resources for security instead of him. So only having a little doesn't mean you don't give. I don't want to. I don't want to give. Then you need to stare at Jesus and how generous he has been to you until you want to give. Because there's something misordered in your heart. And we're all, we all get there. Right? This isn't like a one and done thing. This is a constant tending of our hearts. But we don't give because we don't want to. Sometimes we don't give because we're saving up for something. The Lord is not say, I find nowhere in the Bible, nowhere, give unless you're saving up for a mortgage payment, down payment. I don't read that anywhere. Give unless you're saving up for that new piece of technology or that new, like nowhere, never. That it's dysfunctional for his people not to be givers. And I want you to unlearn that we don't give because we're in debt. Just because you're in debt doesn't mean that God is saying, all right, I want you to focus really hard on your debt first, you know, get on about this financial strategy, and then when you're out of debt, you can now give. That's not the way it works. You cannot find, you, if you can, I, I would love to see it. I really would. But you cannot find that in scripture. You can't. Again, we're holding on to our past mistakes, saying I have to atone for my past mistakes before I can be generous. And I'll atone for my past mistakes by working hard to get out of debt. Can't do that. That's not freeing. We also have to unlearn giving leftovers. I spend all week long, and then if there's anything left over, I give it away. In scripture, we see about first fruits, that we give the first of what comes in because that tells our heart that I'm not dependent on my resources, I'm dependent on God. First fruits, the first things that come up in the garden, the ground, the field, whatever, the orchard. You grab those first things and you give them away saying, God, I trust that you're gonna be my provider, my security, not these first fruits that have come up. And so this, I don't believe this is prescriptive, but this is my this is the way that we work as a family. This is the way that have been counseling people to work financially is that we start, we start with 10%. We start with 10%. But we don't end there. We don't end there. Some of us think, oh, I'm doing a great job because I'm just giving 10%. And if God wants for you to give 10%, awesome, amazing. But what if God wants all your stuff? What if God wants it all? You can't hide behind the 10% thing in that moment. Because one day, a rich young ruler came to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, do these commands. He says, ah, oh, yes, I've done all these. He's like, oh, okay, you just lack one thing. Uh, go sell all your possessions, uh, give them to the poor and come follow me. 
Jesus couldn't have been literal. He couldn't really meant like go sell all the stuff because he had a lot of stuff. What was Jesus going after? His heart. His heart. He wanted to hold on to his stuff. So maybe there's a time where Jesus says, I want 90% of your paycheck. Why? Because you've been holding on to that 90% for security. And I'm not just dropping percentages for you to grab onto, just as illustrative points. But we have to move away from this, oh, God only requires 10%. He, he has it all. It's his to call back when he wants. We also have to unlearn that money is evil. Don't teach your kids that. Don't believe that. It's not money that's evil. Money's a gift. It's a gift to you from the Lord. How many of you receive a birthday card, you open it, there's a check, you're like, what evil? Oh, shutting this, recycle it, shred it. No, you're so grateful. The Lord is continuously giving you these birthday cards, these Mother's Day cards when you're not even a mom, right? You just keep getting them. These are things we have to unlearn because they're not from God. And yet there's some Christian teaching that will say that these things are most important. But God is a God who owns everything and he wants our hearts. So how do we make a plan? How do we plan? What I want to do is, is just present a, a simple way to budget because most of us don't uh, give because we don't budget. Uh, when I meet with people inside of the church or outside of the church and, I, and they were talking to me about financials, um, hardships they're having, I'll say, okay, show me your budget. Like, I don't, I don't know that six-letter B word. And that's just not a thing for them. Um, and so I, I want to say that if we're stewards, if we're stewards, you don't need to go crazy. But we should be working off of something like a budget. And so this is what I want to present a few ideas and we want to start our budget by reminding ourselves that everything is Jesus's and I'm made to enjoy him, not the budget, not the stuff, right? I'm made to enjoy him. So the first piece of this is that we want to start with investing eternally and build around generosity. If you're building a budget, don't start with your Netflix, right? You see if you have enough money left over for Netflix. And, I, and I'm being serious. We start with this reality that God, it's all yours, what do you want this year? What do you want me to give this month, this six months, whatever? What do you want me to give? And we invest eternally because here's the thing. I don't care how good the S&P does. I don't care how good the Dow market does. Like, I just don't care. None of it's gonna have the type of return that God's economy will. God's economy is eternal and exponential. You don't know what's gonna happen with the money that you invest into his economy. What I do know is that it's going to have eternal repercussions. Repercussions is a bad way of saying it, right? It's going to have eternal benefits. There we go. Uh, we'll just edit that out. Uh, it's going to have eternal benefits for you in, in enjoying him. So we in, invest eternally and build around generosity. You actually, and, and I actually, we miss out on God's work if we aren't giving. And I'm not being manipulative, okay? Don't hear me as that but we actually miss out on God's work if we're not giving. You just do. Because God wants to do certain things with his resources, and he's not confined like, oh man, I wish, I would, I'll pick on Mike Gockley. I wish that Mike Gockley would, would put more money in the plate because uh, I'm really hoping to do this thing. God is not like that, right? 
God can, can drop the money from the sky. God can, can put it in a fish's mouth. God can do whatever he wants. He can provide it from wherever. He's not bound by you and your disobedience. He's just not. But you're missing out. You're missing out. So what I counsel people to do is to start with 10% gross. Not like 10% oh, gross. But 10%, you're gross, which means before tax. I had to look that up this morning, confession, okay? I never know which is net or which is gross. But I would counsel you to start with 10% gross. And you might be saying, ah, that's crazy. And I would say, ah, but the gospel reorders us. The gospel reorders us. Don't think that this is something that you just have to muster up the courage to do. That God wants to change your heart so that you start to see these resources as, God, how can I give more of your stuff? Would you provide more so I could give more away? What I suggest as well is that you start with spiritual family and then go out from there. So I counsel people, hey, 10% is a great place to, to start within the church, within the local church family, and then build from there. You want to do compassion? You want to support overseas missions? You want to support something in your neighborhood? You want to support someone from the church that's doing something? Great, amazing. But start with the 10%. We take care of our family before we take care of our neighbors, right? I'm not feeding the neighbor's kids while my kids are sitting there like starving, you know, going over. I'm like, I'm just being generous to the neighborhood, guys. Just relax. And so this is, this is a way for us to grow uh, generously. And honestly, if we were all giving 10%, if our church was giving 10%, uh, our church would be fully funded, completely. Uh, we would be giving a lot of money away because we're not looking to build a bigger building. I mean, we meet in a pretty big theater and we have our choice, like we can move around. We don't, we're not looking to build something uh, and we don't have a lot of things that we wanna do beyond what we're doing. We wanna be generous and keep planting so that more people meet Jesus. And so collectively, let me just put this in perspective. $140,000 Canadian or like $30 US uh, would... Uh, <laughs> would give us everything that we need as a church. So that means that we collectively as a church would have to make $1.4 million. We make way more than $1.4 million. So we have this opportunity as the people of God to be able to give. We want to bring on uh, Jordan Weeks full time. Right? And, and we're hoping that we're going to be able to do that by the end of this year. And we'd like to plant another church at some point. We're hoping we'd be able to do that and, and put money towards that. But that's going to come from the people of God. So we invest eternally, build around generosity. Secondly, we plan for our future. So as we're building out our budget, we start with giving. Then we say, okay, one day I'm going to retire, most likely. One day I'm not going to be earning money. So what can I do now? How can I invest now so I can keep giving and not have to work until I'm 95 or whatever. Um, and it's not about your family legacy. Sometimes I hear people talking about, oh, I want to give this much to my kids. I love my children, but the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18 and 19 says that your child, your child could be a fool. You could invest all of your time in building this wonderful legacy, and then your, your child says, I want to get, I want to have a, a, a mansion, and I want to have Mega parties in there every day and like, you know, three months later, everything is gone, loses the house, out, right? You don't know what your children are gonna be like. So don't just think about your kids. Think about the legacy of Jesus. 
and how the resources he's given to you keeps moving on. When I met with a financial planner recently, I said, I, I do not make millions of dollars, okay? Not even close. I said, but I wanna give millions of dollars away after I'm gone. How do I do that? And so we made a plan for how to be able to do that. So we plan for our future. And how can the legacy of King Jesus keep going on? Uh, thirdly, we want to then execute for today. This means live within your means. If you can't eat ice cream for a season, don't eat ice cream. Don't think, oh, I'll just put it on the card. What's $4 on the card? 10 years from now, it's $4,000. That ice cream was a $4,000 gelato, right? Like, we do not understand the economy that credit card holders uh, work in, right? So live within our means, Live within our means. We want to get out of debt as soon as we can. We want to stay out of debt if we can. Okay, but we execute for today. This means that there are things that you can't do that you'd like to do. That's okay. That really is okay. Fourthly, pray that the seed grows and multiplies. Pray that the seed grows and multiplies. So as you're giving things away, pray. Lord, would you take this money, these resources, and would you multiply it all over this world? And the fifth part of this is tend your heart and the finances. Tend your heart and the finances. As you're giving, don't, don't feel justified. Oh, God must be so pleased with me now because of what I'm giving away. He was pleased with you before you gave anything. He's the dad that embraces you when you've squandered everything. But tend your heart and his finances, which means you're going to have to look at it often. So what I, what I did, and we're wrapping up, uh, but what I did for you is that I put a budget up there. Uh, I think we're able to make it a little bit bigger. Um, so I have a little green pointy thing here. All right. Uh, there we go. All right, so <clears throat> this is a sample budget. I'm going to give you the, the link for it in just a second. Uh, but here is all of your income, all right? Government, that can be a line in Canada because they actually give you money for things. It's crazy. Um, and, and so you put all of your income up here. You put that income there. Everything also is already connected. So you can just plug in a number and you're gonna see the thing happen. It's crazy. And then you have your expenses here, okay? And the expenses just keep going. You don't need to keep going down the list. And down here, what you can't see is there are tabs, and they just keep going as well, for you to keep track of each one of the expenses that you're doing. And all of this, the income should be higher than your expenses. Was that rocket science to anyone? All right? You should have more money coming in than going out. And I know some of you work your budget that way. Your pocket is your budget. You're like, I don't have anything to go out. Like, I'm out. I'm done. But this should be able to get you started on this. And there, you can add categories. You can add categories down here. Everything is, is synced up. Uh, you can add categories up there. This is just to get you started. But my suggestion is that God has given you stuff, not for you to be like, I don't know what to do with it, but instead to be able to figure out how do I become a really good steward of this. The, the link is on the, the next slide, which somehow I can't do here. 
Uh, so what I want you to do is not write this down. If you have a phone, uh, which most of you do, I'm assuming, you can take a picture of that. Now is the time to do that because I'm going to move on in about five seconds. All right, And we'll send this link out to you. Um, but this, this hopefully is, this is your Mother's Day gift, right? This is your Mother's Day gift. And I want to end our, our time this morning, not with a budget thing, but I want to end uh, with, with sharing a story, and then I'll invite David Ritz to come up. Um, there, there's so much that the Lord wants to do in your heart through money. So much. Um, when I was not yet a follower of Jesus, uh, I used a lot of credit cards because I rationalized my mind that like, oh, this is just like five hours worth of work. Oh, this is just this much time. Like, and I was $25,000 in debt. Uh, I met Jesus and uh, my perspective on finances changed and I had to move in with my grandparents because I didn't have any money anymore. And uh, my grandfather said, you know, how's life been? I'm like, well, not great, but now it's getting better. And he's like, oh, do you have any debt that you're carrying? I said, yeah, I have about $25,000. And he's like, oh, can you bring it to me? I'm like, sure, go and bring it. I, I thought it was like reprimanding or something. And he's just like, I'm gonna pay all this tomorrow. I'm like, no, you're like, come on. Like, I'm an idiot. Do, you, do I need to go into detail about what I, what I use this on? Like, this is crazy. You would never wanna pay this. He's like, no, this is gonna be, this is gonna be done tomorrow. And I'm like, wow. Like, I understood what a generous God, a father who runs after children is, right? To embrace us, to love us, to change us. The second thing I just want to share from, from my personal story is that we were raising support for about 16 months to be up here. Uh, we live on support. We don't take any money from the church. Um, and so in raising that support, uh, I had to work a job as well. And I made um, a whopping $17,000 a year. I uh, lived in a very like affluent community in Maine by accident, not by choice, and, uh, and had no money. Literally, we had no money to be able to give, no money. It was in the negative like every month. And Jess and I, uh, on a date night, because we got pregnant right away, like, yay, it was amazing. And it was amazing, but like we weren't planning on that. And, uh, and so we literally had no money. I'm like, God, you don't know what you're doing. Like, this is a train wreck. And our date nights were going to Target, walking around and being like, wow, if we had $5, we'd buy that, right? Like, I'm not joking. And, uh, and it was very, like, strange and, and, and weird. And so I said, God, we're not gonna give during this time because we don't have any money. He says, no, I want you to give. And for us, it was 10%. I want you to give 10%. And I just laughed, Right, and I have an annoying laugh, so it's like, <laughs> you know, like, are you kidding me? This is ridiculous, and I'm working this out with the checkbook in the kitchen. And Jess came in, I'm like, Jess, God wants us to keep giving, and she's like, give what? And I'm like, I don't know, checks, money. I'm like, but it's gonna bounce. We're gonna be those people that they're like, just put their checks over there. Like, we're not really gonna cash them. But every week, someone would walk up to us with like gift cards or um shopping cards or money like and I would go and speak at churches and they're like we're gonna give you a thousand dollars I'm like that was probably like a fifty dollar sermon that <laughs> you shouldn't give me a thousand dollars like oh we just feel like we should all right and God continued to provide for us like that so I have these two epic points in life where everything was paid for and then I want you to give when you don't have anything to give because I'm gonna keep giving for you so that no checks will ever bounce and you'll see that I'm the giver not you 
So I wanna invite David Ritz to come up. I have a few questions for him. I, I knew this is why we were doing no announcements this morning because I talked long. Um, David, this is David. I'm Dwight. Um, David, what's your financial situation today? We are debt-free. Debt-free. That's really exciting. And this is a new thing, right? Yes. Very yeah. new thing. Yeah. Uh, so five years ago, where were you at financially? Uh, we were having the same date nights that you and Jess were having. They're actually. awesome, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're fantastic. Uh, no, uh, actually, five years ago, I was thinking about this. I was probably feeling like I wanted to throw up. Uh, we had just moved here to Montreal. We were probably about $45,000 in debt, um, consumer debt, uh, student loans, car loans, all that kind of stuff. And uh, we, we also raised support, and I didn't even have enough for rent. Um, we signed our lease, and I was just like, I have no business signing this lease. I don't even have this much coming in. Um, and the money that we had going out was roughly about equal to what the rent was mm -hmm. as well. Um, so it was a pretty dire situation. It looked like a massive mountain that was impossible to move. Mm. So, so yeah. five years ago, what changed in your thinking that you had to do something about that? Um, well, uh, the, the, the change ha started to happen a, a few years prior to that. This was, this was kind of our debt being more under control. I was just more nervous because we had less income coming in. Um, but, uh, but the change happened where we had to actually sit down and do a budget. Um, so that was a big thing. And my wife has been a huge blessing in all of this. Uh, I'm less of a budgeter. I'm more of a like free spender, kind of like, oh, we got money in the bank. Great, let's go spend it. Um, but my wife is a lot more strict. So when you were talking about uh, Netflix and all that kind of, th these are stuff that I like. And I've, I've learned that in a budget, that there, we can live on a lot less than we actually think that we can. Uh, our food budget when we moved here was $300. And uh, I had a pregnant wife and a little child and myself. And that was a very, very small food budget for a family. And yet, we've never starved. Um, God has taken care of us every step of the way. Grocery cards, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and so I had to realize that... Um, we didn't have to live on nearly as much as we thought we needed to. And, uh, and, and generosity. I mean, yeah, you, you, you write the, the checks for the church, and you're kind of like, this is ridiculous. The police are going to arrest me probably for passing uh, bad checks. And yet we, we have never in, the, in five years, as difficult as it has ever been, we've had a few periods where we've even had to stop our income completely because we didn't have enough coming in to support our, our uh our wage, and yet we've been able to do it. And we've never had a rent check bounce. We've never starved. Uh, our kids have had clothing every developmental stage um, because people have kids that are older than us, and they're like, oh, let's get rid of it. Um, and, uh, and so that we've just had to live without budget categories that we would love to have, but we just don't. And, uh, and so now it's just like, well, I don't even know what to do. <laughs> mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that thinking had to change is that I don't need this as much mm -hmm. as I think that I need. Um, every little thing, Netflix, uh, Spotify Premium, uh, all those kinds of things that I would love to have, Jeannie was like, we can't afford it. And I was like, <laughs> okay. Um, but but that made you into the internet hacker you are now, so you get free movies. Exactly, and right? Yeah. <laughs> Just so joking. the police are going to be knocking on my That's door right. for different reasons. Different reasons. <laughs> so last question. Uh, so during that time, for sure you had to stop being generous, right? No. No. Um, it's, it's amazing to see uh, just uh, as, as we begin to give away, the Lord does continue to provide because he does, 
he, he promises in Matthew that, why are you worrying about these things? I'll take care of them for you uh, because I'm your loving father and I'll take care of them. And so, yeah, we, we, we still give out of the generosity that we have. Um, every year when we have a tax refund coming in, we, we sit down and we look at like, okay, let's, let's give as much of this. This is a way that we can. We've supported people uh, going on missions trips and things like that. And, uh, and it's been amazing to see how God has, has changed our hearts towards mm-hmm. that, for sure. That's really great. Thanks, man. So this isn't about David. Uh, we're wrapping up now. It's not about David. It's not about me. It's not about uh, you. These, this really is about God, that God is a generous God who gives generously to his children, and, uh, and he'll just keep giving. And so it's not a matter of trying to figure out exactly what it is. It's, it's looking at him, beholding him, and saying, make me generous like you. I want you. I want to enjoy you. I want to have open hands with your stuff so that more people would know you, get to experience your hospitality, your generosity, and that millions upon millions of people around this world would know who you are. So I'm gonna pray for us, and then we're gonna respond. God, thank you that you are a generous God. You are epic in your generosity. You are not stingy at all. When we feel like you're being stingy, you're not, because that's not who you are. And oftentimes during these these rough patches or these times where we feel like we don't have enough, it's you desiring for us to have more of you. So I pray for those hearts that are feeling guilty now. They, They don't need to feel guilty because you were the dad that ran after the son who squandered everything. And you want to change our hearts into being generous. So would you cause us today to respond in generosity. For those of us who have pigeonholed ourselves into a percentage or an amount that we give, would you cause us to see that, that you want us to recognize that everything is yours and to not be content to just keep giving the same amount of time, treasure, talent, whatever it is, but that we would, we would want to steward whatever you're giving us for your glory so that your dominion and your presence would spread everywhere throughout this world. So we love you. And we need you for everything, Jesus. Amen.